Soul Podcast. My name is Bree. That's spelled B-R-E-I. Thank you so much. Today's film commentary is going to be about Knives Out, which was released in 2019, rated PG-13, and it has a runtime of two hours and ten minutes. The director for this film is Ryan Johnson. I'm gonna start off by sort of breaking down the characters, and I'll just have a picture of the overall family plus some of the quote-unquote helpers in the family or caretakers who are also a huge part of the plot of the story. So we start off with the main character whose death in the story, which is not really a spoiler because that's basically the start of the movie. We talk about spoilers, so just so you know. The main character, whose name is Harland, he is the one who has all the money, has his own publishing company, he is a famous writer, and he's basically in control and or the reason why any of his family members have any success because he started it all. And then we have Blanc, who is the main detective in the story, who sort of has a southern accent and really uh, plays off the energy and plays sort of that detective. Although I wouldn't call him hard-boiled or anything, it does have a sort of whodunit atmosphere with his character. And then we have Ransom. Okay, so his other nickname is Hugh because he doesn't let the help call him by his official name because he's an asshole. So he goes by Hugh. And then his real name is Ransom. Then the main character besides Harlan is Marta, who is a caretaker uh, specializing in medicine. I don't necessarily know the credentials that she has, but it seems like she's like his at-home, Harlan's at-home nurse. He's been having troubles with his health and so she shows up and gives him his medications and kind of watches over him and that's her role before all of the tragedy happens. And then there's Linda who is the daughter of Harlan and I'll go back to Ransom who is the grandson of Harlan and then there's Walt who is the son of Harlan and then there's Richard, who is the son-in-law of Harlan. And then there's Joni, who is the daughter-in-law of Harlan. And then we have um, one of the lieutenant detectives who shows up, which I don't think he's going to be in the photo, but uh, Lakeith Sandfield plays him. So I, I think his performance was good. It's nice to see him being so versatile. And then Meg, who is the granddaughter of Harlan. And then we have Jacob, who is the grandson of Harlan. And then Donna, I believe, is just like the wife, <laughs> uh, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Walt, I believe. Uh, I will say that Jacob and Donna have a little bit of play in the film, like a few things that they say lead to other clues or just sort of show the dynamics and the way that they feel about themselves and others, but I wouldn't say that they're very important and also like Jacob's an asshole and a weirdo and a racist, so there's that. Um, yeah, weird. And then there's Fran, another one of the helpers, so on and so forth. And then I think there's one other person that, yeah, Harlan's mom, who's like very old. And it appears that she's aware, she knows where she is, but she's just an older lady. She's here, she's alive, she's living. She's interesting in that respect and that she probably knows more than she says. She doesn't really care what anyone's thinking about. Okay, 
So let's start with some topics that came up with the story. First I'll say that basically this is a whodunit story giving you summary. We start out Harlan's dead. He's again the main character, the main breadwinner, the reason why the whole family kind of stays together like the glue. Uh, they come into town for his funeral. It's somewhat declared that he committed suicide and the detectives are doing like their routine checks or the police or the lieutenants. They're doing their routine checkups on this but they're pretty sure it's a suicide. But there's a detective who's Blanc, Detective Blanc, who shows up because he was hired but he doesn't know who hired him, he just showed up like they ask. Which makes things start to take a turn for was this really a suicide? And then while we're figuring out, well Blanc is figuring out if it's a suicide, the regular lieutenants are, you know, doing their questioning, wrapping stuff up, and at face value we get like a personal sort of interview with each of the family members sort of talking about who they are, what they do, what their dad meant to them, was there anything strange going on later in his life, blah blah blah. And they tell you like the best versions of themselves, but they don't always say the best versions of other people, and that's how we start to unravel this web of this family and the lies and ultimately the egos and the narcissism and the story does this really cool thing and I'll bring this up more as my uh, second theme but you know we start with this sort of normal plot structure this happened in this sequence now this because of this cause and effect but there are flashbacks and there are you know little clues that we go back to giving a realization so really that real big whodunit sort of film but it's not slapsticky and it doesn't feel forced or boring it's really interesting and the pacing really nice especially when you start to unravel things and get more context so my first thing that i noticed is this issue of race social class self-made versus inheriting and i guess not necessarily nepotism but privilege and ego so there's this flashback to the family sitting in the living room and how they talk about race and there's this kind of um, contradicting situation going on where like Joni and Meg are supposed to be like white liberalism and in the way that we slowly find out how problematic some sort of white liberals can be where as long as it still fits their narrative and as long as they get to look like the good guys, they're all about allyship, they're all about caring about people, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty, uh, they don't actually want to be on the street fighting, they don't actually, you know, care outside of their performative acts, and when people need them the most, they're nowhere to be found, right? So they're all, they're all words, they're not action. So you kind of see that with Joni standing up for Marta um, because the family's talking about Immigrants shouldn't be here and blah blah blah. I don't remember how the political conversation came up, but you know how when families get together and everyone has different personalities and you always have those family members that are terrible people and then the other ones that are like normal people um, or good people and then there's always something. And of course it starts with politics. It's a very realistic take. And anyway, Marta is one of the caretakers and she's there and they're talking to her and basically talking down to her and they're like, oh, but we're not talking about you, Marta. You're one of the good ones. When they actually, I think Marta's family are undocumented either her mom um, I don't necessarily know if her sister is but the point is that it doesn't give them the right to speak about something that they don't understand 
and they don't actually care about her. And so they're trying to be like, oh, but you're one of the good ones, as if that negates all the other racism that they were saying. <laughs> and they actually don't know about her or care about her because you find out that they don't know anything about her. One of them says she's like from Ecuador and they're just throwing things in the air. Like they're just like, oh, she's, she's Mexican, she's an immigrant, so she must be from one of these places. They haven't even done the research to actually know who she is as a person, enough to even know her actual, you know, like, race or nationality. They don't care. That's the point. That's the point, that they don't fucking care. And I think this scene's really good to kind of distinguish how shitty this family is. Um, and that scene was a great example. And then we also hear about how some of the other family members... Um, in terms of social class, tell the helpers not to call them by their names because, like, how dare they? Which is stupid and super, super political and super, you know, offensive. And how much money they have and even though most of them are mooching off of their dad. And not in a way like, hey, I'm going through hard times, I'm trying to figure out my life. Or, uh, I'm a teenager, you know, of course they're going to depend on you. It's literally like, I want to live my best lifestyle, but off of you. I don't want to try to learn about the family business. I don't want to try to get a new job. I just want to keep doing this and you giving me money. To the point where one of the characters, Joni, is like stealing her daughter's tuition money. Like, she's double dipping. So, the money that... Uh, Harlan has been giving to Meg for her school that goes directly to her school. Joni's accountant it has been uh, working with her and double dipping. So taking money for herself and then putting the rest toward her daughter's education, which is not what they agreed on uh, between Joni and Harlan. So later we start to figure that out. So just things like that where it's like super messed up that, you know, Harlan is doing this in general to help you. And then you have the audacity to steal from him. And to talk like you're better than everyone when you really have nothing. And then his son, Walt, who technically, like, manages the publishing business. But he's really just trying to convince his dad of ways to go into other fields of the business that would give them more money, like with film rights. But his dad doesn't really want to go in that direction. And he's trying to tell his dad what to do with his, his business. Like, that's his dad's business. He's lucky his dad's even letting him, like, in the company. Because he's not really that interesting. Or get at what he does, apparently. And then the daughter, Linda, she seems to have actually made something of herself um, outside of her father, but she's greedy. So it seems like she wants more and more and she talks down on her other siblings a lot. And so that's why she's not really likable because she acts like her shit doesn't stink. And her husband is an asshole as well. So that's sort of a briefing that talks about class, inheritance, things like that. Um, how that, in general, creates a lot of entitlement. Um, you see a lot with the grandkids. Meg seems to be somewhat decent, but then later you find out she's really just, she's no different from them, even though she would like to believe that she is. Again, with sort of that white liberalism. She says a lot of stuff that she can't back up. And then Jacob's, you know, he's a terrible, terrible kid. And he doesn't, he's not going to change, I'm sure. And his parents don't care if he changes because they're not good people. And then Ransom... We find out pretty soon that Ransom has a lot more to do with Harlan's death than everyone originally knew. And he is an ungrateful, entitled prick. He does nothing. And even the family talks about him like that. I don't know if his parents did. Maybe they did a little bit. Everyone else kind of does. So, okay. Even though he did, he is the one that gets along with Harlan the most. I mean, they get into their little spats, but it's sort of shown as if they kind of like it. Like, 
a tit for tat. Ransom really is a terrible person. But Harlan probably, like, teases him and picks at him because it's fun. And he likes to, like, write down mystery uh, novels. He's, he's a famous mystery novelist, not just an author with any general book genre. And that's important, too, because it has a lot to do with the sort of genre of the story. And how they're exposed in the interviews when they start talking shit about each other, when Blanc starts to ask them other questions. They're getting frustrated with him because they're like, why are you here? Who hired you? Even he doesn't know. Blah, 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 blah. And that's how he also finds out about each other's, you know, sort of tea and their secrets. Because they are telling each other secrets to save themselves, of course. Okay, so the other theme that I kind of saw in light was the way that the story was told. And I kind of touched on this already. But it's really like, if someone dies, then we have all these interviews... Then we branch off into sort of backstories on what happened that night and touching on the details of everybody's sort of different perspectives, but not like we're going in their head. Um, we stay with Marta a lot, Marta and Blanc together, and the only time I feel like we really branch off is when we're going back to that night or something in connection to something someone has said about someone else. For example, Linda's husband cheating on her and there's like a whole thing between him and Harlan fighting because of course they want to know um, who might have had a motive against Harlan and apparently they all have had debates with Harlan and we start to find out, that's when we find out that Joni was stealing from him, um, that uh, Harlan was going to tell Linda and the husband wasn't happy about that. Uh, pretty quickly we find out in the story that the main thing that Ransom and Harlan were fighting about was the will. Uh, Ransom had recently changed his will. He didn't feel like any of his family members were really grateful of what he had done and they had all been having little quarrels with him, wanting to control him again. Him and Walt had a, a disagreement to his other son because he wanted to change stuff with the film rights and Harlan had made it clear he wasn't going to do that so he was definitely thinking about firing him. I think he had fired him and so everyone technically had a motive honestly. <laughs> And so that's what we start to find out. We find out what other people heard. Harlan's mom thought Ransom had returned to the house the night that Harlan died several times because he had. So, you know, and then Jacob heard something when he was in the bathroom about between Harlan and Ransom. So that's how the story kind of slowly but surely picks at everything going on. And the main trigger, obviously, in the climax, uh, I guess it's not a climax, but it's definitely a trigger to the fact that they all could have had a motive. They all had arguments with him before he died of questionably suicide that he changed. Not only did he change the will, but he gave Marta, someone who, you know, he would, he actually started to confide in about secrets, so she knew a lot of their secrets because of Harlan, someone who actually, who he actually knew kind of cared about him outside of being um, his healthcare helper and things like that. They seemed to have a genuine relationship, but he left his money to Marta. There was nothing else going on. They were just friends, but then the family, of course, starts to show their real personalities and assumes that she was sleeping with him or whatever. They're livid. You can see that Ransom expected this because he had already found out from Harlan, which makes him a huge, huge suspect, of course, although they all had motive, even though I don't know that Blanc knew all that right away, but he was slowly figuring it out. And so that becomes a major issue, but I just love the way that it was told and how we sort of 
go from there and go backwards and go here, here, there, there, because it kind of gives you that twist and turn of who did it and you get to guess who you think did it, but you're in the midst of being like, well, I don't know. It could be this person. It could be this person. It could be this person. And that's the real fun in the story. You know, it keeps you guessing and it keeps you on the edge of your seat. That's the best way to do a whodunit, I think. Okay, so I did have one other question before I go to the third theme. Would people consider this film neo-noir? Because I don't think it's noir in the sense that it's in black and white and it's really like a hard-boiled detective fighting crime, a femme fatale. Clearly this film doesn't have that aspect and I think that part of that is just because of the time that noir started. I feel like it's really hard to create authentic original noir in the modern times because a lot of noir was so cool because of the time frame that the films were made, not just the directors. It's just a style and an aesthetic that I don't think can be replicated as well as it did back then. But I wonder if it would be considered neo-noir and like the new age, the way that like uh, the movie Drive is and things like that. But then I'm like, no, I think it's better to describe it as a whodunit because there's sort of a humor in the film that, of course, it's like dark humor because it's a darker topic, but it feels kind of funny sometimes, like how hypocritical the family is, some of the jokes in the story, how they are, you know, tit for tat banter back and forth even between the family members sort of like this stab but they don't twist sort of concept even uh Blanc how he sort of jokes around and he has this like southerny accent and they even joke about that in the film specifically Ransom toward the end so I'm just like hmm I don't know I don't know I just was curious about how people would define this film and then the last theme that I wanted to talk about was how money changes everything. So obviously I think that all families have their dysfunction and the, the saying always is more money, more problems. Although I think most people that have been poor obviously would much rather be unhappy in a mansion, unhappy with their bills paid. And I think most people would agree and even rich people, you know, whether they come from generational wealth or they're considered whatever, quote unquote, new rich, they don't want to be poor. That's why they fight so hard. That's why they tend to be so greedy. That's why they're okay with exploiting people. Because being poor is a whole other level of struggle that no one wants to have to endure, even for a little bit of time. And it even, especially, I think, if you've come out of that poverty at some point, you never want to go back. And so... I think it's just hilarious how people still pretend like that's not their main goal or that they're better than that or it's not just about money or they don't acknowledge any of their privileges. They don't acknowledge, you know, that their life is so much easier. We do not all have the same 24 hours. Even in the film, you can see how hypocritical and how performative these characters in these family and these people are. And as soon as they knew that they weren't getting any money, they freaked the fuck out. And I just thought it was hilarious. And even Ransom, you know, watching them, he was cracking up because he knows they're all hypocrites. But so is he. That's what's so funny. They all are. And it's just like funny, really, because none of them had any entitlement to that money. That was Harlan's money. And that's their problem. That's a personal problem, you know? 
and I just think it's a good testament to why a lot of people do get murdered or get harmed. A lot of the time the motive is money and there's a scariness in that and I know that there might be other causes like infidelity and jealousy, so many things, but the fact that they all came from money, had all the privileges, all the resources at their hands. Some of them were successful, most of them weren't. They were nothing without Harlan. They definitely didn't want to give up their lifestyles. They didn't want to try to be better versions of themselves. They didn't want to try to go out on their own. They just wanted to keep mooching off of Harlan, even in his death, and still had the audacity to act like he owed him them anything. It was just crazy. So that's a major theme the power that they had behind money, the way that they treated their staff. And again, this goes back into social class that I really wanted to kind of break down money as power. I know a lot of people say money and power, but I truly believe that money is power. You don't even have to have any official title. You don't have to be a CEO necessarily, right? Because you don't have to necessarily be a CEO of a company to be rich. But it's money that gives you power, and I am convinced that a lot of people that have money get away with a lot of things that we just don't always hear about because they have money to keep people silent. Like, that is really scary, but it's also just definitely a fact. I mean, there's people that are breaking laws as we speak because they have money. Money is power. As far as I'm concerned, it is not money and power. It is money equals power. You know, money gets you power. And they know that. No matter how much they try to be realistic or relatable, they're lying. And you saw that as soon as the, the will was read off. You saw that. Oh, and they think everyone is their enemy. They like to put people down and make them feel better about themselves. You know, they quickly turned on Marta as soon as they knew that she got the money. Marta, throughout the whole film, you know, really overwhelmed with what happened with the will. She did not expect that. We find out you know, right away that Marta and Harlan had their own thing going on, not in a um, intimate way, just like in a friendship. And I'll get to that in a minute, but just the unexpectedness and how they treated her before they knew she was getting money and after, and how they tried to use Meg against her, how someone tried to blame her for Harlan's death um, with no real evidence, how they were showing up to her house making threats, she is the main character of this story and her the actress who plays her did a really good job and i know i haven't talked about her acting alone especially as her character but i just think that while she was entertaining she was someone we wanted to root for she was figuring out a lot of things as we were until we were you know shown the fact that she had caused or had thought that she had caused the situation of Harlan's death. So I'll get to that. But I just think that the real craziness and the real entertainment came from the responses of the family and Blanc trying to narrow that down. But it made it so much better because um, with the money and the power thing, Marta was like the ultimate underdog. And she also thought that she was the problem. But you could tell that the guilt was eating her up. I don't think the guilt would have been eating that family up. Let's be fucking real. And they technically all have motive. And I definitely think that they would have been the one to kill Harlan if they knew 
um, what happened in his will. I don't know about Linda, but mm, she gives me some vibe that I don't like. But definitely the other family members. Definitely. Um, okay, so let me finish this power dynamic thing. Um, you know, exerting control over people's lives. You never really know who someone is until they show you, which unfortunately means that you've gotten harmed, which I feel like you see this in this film or you could see in real life. You rarely ever walk away unscratched. Nothing cute or fun about poverty or being poor or worrying about check to check. And the rich know that, just like everyone else, don't let the nonchalantness fool you, ever. So that's kind of what I thought about. Uh, also, family and blood will turn on each other as well. There's, family doesn't necessarily mean anything, unfortunately. Um, and we saw that in the film, and unfortunately, it's a real thing. Okay, so we find out that Harlan and what happened that night, the night that Harlan died, Harlan had gotten, like, I think 100-something, I don't know if it was milligrams or grams or whatever, of morphine. He thought he was injected with that by Marta. It was an accident. He had thrown board aboard. I don't think it was chess. It was some other sort of similar chess game that he threw on the floor and it hit her her medical bag or something like that. Anyway, the, the medicine got switched and she was pretty sure she injected him with the right thing, but when she looked at the container of the medicine, she was freaking out because it wasn't what he was supposed to get. And she was basically like, oh my God, you're gonna die in 10 minutes if I don't find this antidote or thing that will help you. And she also could not find that. And then he basically, set up his own death to look like a suicide so that Marta wouldn't get in trouble and ultimately it wouldn't hurt her family. And that's why he ended up killing himself. And he had Marta go back and retrace certain steps to make it look like she had left before he had died, um, just in case they questioned it or whatever. So he ultimately used his skills of mystery writing to write his own death in his own way when he thought that he was going to die. Now, I say thought that he was going to die, which also I did not expect any of that, but interesting way to tell the story. So cool. But we find out pretty quickly that Ransom had already switched the medication before Marta had dropped her bag, which means they had switched back. So he would not have died. Marta was a good person, and so was Harlan. And as we see, even with those situations, even within her worst mistake, she thought about someone else as she should have. Ransom was the one who originally switched the medication. I think he had changed the labels. Marta also, um, if they hadn't been switched back, I think Marta also would have still injected him with the right amount of medication because she can kind of tell the difference between the weights of the containers that the medication was in because she had a license to practice, so she knew what she was doing. So there's that again. He definitely would not have died. And we see that Ransom also takes out the antidote that kind of helps and in case of emergency, so he took that just in case. So we find out the person actually planned to kill Harland and essentially try to blame it on Marta uh, and take away any possibility of Harland living, which just shows how fucking evil he is that he did that to his grandfather. But anyway, and try to blame it on someone else. But anyway, he did all that, almost got away with it because Marta thought she was the one who did it. And they have this whole point where she tells Har um, Ransom everything and because, you know, the guild is eating her up and all these changes with the will and all these people following her. And then there's another person coming in and making threats to Ransom and he's sending those threats to Marta to get her shaken up now that he knows what she thought that she did but she didn't do. And the person who was sending those threats um, with actual uh, proof 
of incriminating proof against Ransom. I can't remember the details of what that was. Is another one of the workers, Fran, who never liked Ransom and he treated her like crap, so of course she didn't. And she suspected that something was off a little earlier in the film and she kind of brought that up to Martha. And she seemed pretty cool. She liked um, Harlan a lot. And basically it was evidence against Ransom and he tried to kill Fran and succeeded, unfortunately, but not before she gave the evidence to Marta in her like secret stash where her lead was, long story. Anyway, Marta found it. And ultimately Ransom went to jail. Um, all the secrets of the family were out, you know, each family member. So like Linda found out her husband was cheating through like this little card that her dad sent her or she found on the desk of her dad's desk and her husband thought oh it's just an empty card you know they're still playing games mm -hmm. like Harlan would and the house even the house and everything and all the money went to Marta so she's standing now in the house at the top of the balcony with the cup that Harlan once used and owned and they're all looking up at her and just seeing the change in financial power now that they are they are out of options. They can't blame her for anything. And she's already seen all their true colors. So even if they do try to suck up to her, it's not going to work in the way that it might have in the past. And it leads you to wonder, you know, what did Marta decide to do? She even asked uh, Blanc, this family needs me, don't they? I should help them, shouldn't I? And Blanc said, as you know, I have my opinions, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'll do the quotes about that. But it's just a great ending to an otherwise great story. And I think you should consider watching it and definitely watch this one before the second one that came out, Glass Onion. Glass Onion was really good for so many different reasons, but you need to start with Knives Out first. So I'm going to go into my quote segment and then that's going to be the end of my commentary. Blanc, I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. Blanc, but the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth, but what you do with the truth once you have it. This is between Marta and Harlan, and they're playing the game Go. It was the game Go, not chess. I apologize. Harlan, I don't know how you beat me at this every time. Marta, I'm not trying to beat you. I'm creating a beautiful pattern. Harlan, that's elder abuse. I'm calling the AARP. Marta, don't make me get the belt, abuelo. Blanc to Marta. I want you to know that you didn't win the game by playing it Harlan's way. You won it by playing it your way, because you have a good heart. Linda, we are the Thornbees, goddammit! This is still our house. Marta, this family, I should care for them, right? Blanc, well, I have my own opinions, but I think you should follow your heart. Thanks, and have a great day. Bye. <laughs> that, that is hooey. You know, Harlan, he bought this place in the 80s from a Pakistani oh, real estate shut billionaire. shut up, Blanc. Shut up!